Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yardena Osband, our daf of the day, Masachet Kiddushin, daf Yudalid, page 14. So for those of you who miss Yavamot, here we are at the end of Nashim, we have a recap. Um, and if you didn't learn Yavamot with us, this is a good, you know, uh, I guess quick summary, right? The daf begins with... It's going a summary of the fun you missed. The fun you missed <laughs> Without the charts, right? So the Mishnah, the Mishnah in Kiddushin said, the first one that we had, right, that the Yavama acquires herself, meaning she goes out of the, I'm sorry, she she can be acquired, a Yavama niknet, right? She is acquired through sexual intercourse with the Yavam, right? Or she can then, you know, get out of that situation either with Chalitza, the process of Chalitza, which is its whole, whole thing of, she spits in the shoe. She says she doesn't want to be with him. She spits in a shoe. It's a whole thing that we talked about extensively back in Yavama, or with the death of the Yavam. So the daf opens with the case of her being acquired through this act of Yibum, and then it goes to the case of Chalitza, and then it goes to the case of the death of the Yavam, and the bulk of Amun Aleph, really even even on top of Bet, is um, is that last case, the one of the death of the Yavam. That's not what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the middle case um, a little bit down from the top of the daft, the chalitza minalan. Meaning, how do we know that? It's an interesting question because, especially if you've already learned Yavamot, you take it as a given that, of course, she can, you know, conquer the Yav- the yibum situation by by going through chalitza. But the Mishnah here, because it says that she's she acquires herself through chalitza, now the Gemara wants to know. How do we know that she can, in fact, acquire herself through Chalitza? So, first of all, we've got a verse about Yibum, right? In the, and rather in the context of Yibum in Devarim, chapter 25, Deuteronomy, right, where it says specifically, his name will be called in Israel the house of him who had his shoe removed, meaning it's the Chalot the removal of the shoe, is exactly this procedure by which she kind of exempts herself or, or exits the, the requirement to be with the with the Yavam. Once the shoe, once his shoe, the, the Yavam shoe, has been removed by her, then she is permitted to permitted to all Yisrael, meaning she is then eligible to marry anybody else. Um, she's no longer Zakuk. She's no longer tied, I guess, or bound to the, or the, with that connection to the Yavam. So the Gemara is going to ask, what does it mean in Israel, right? Meaning it says his name will be called in Israel, and then it's going to be the house of he whose shoe, uh, of he who's had his shoe removed. What does that Israel mean? What does it come to teach us? Rav Shmuel Bar Yehuda says that that phrasing, that it's, it means that in a Jewish court, meaning the case of Chalitza is taking place in a Jewish court and not in a non-Jewish court. And then the Gemara goes on to say, it's written twice in Israel, meaning it's written in our verse that we just read about how his name will be in Israel. But also in verse 7, in the same chapter in Deuteronomy, it says to establish a name for his brother, meaning the, the very phenomenon of a Yavam, that the Levite marriage would be that he's going to establish a name for the brother in Israel. Namely, you know, you would think then, why do I need it twice? And the answer is, well, we're going to derive two different halachot from each case. 
so this time, can we just say that it's a Beitim, a Jewish court, and not a non-Jewish court? The Gemara goes on to say, We still need in Israel for this other thing that was learned somewhere else, namely in a Breitah. Namely in a Breitah, what happened there? Amar of Yehuda, Pam Achad Hayinu Yoshvim Lifnei Rebbe Tarfon, Uvata Yevama Lachlotz, Va'amar Lanu Anu Kuchem V'imru Chalotz Hana'al Chalotz Hana'al Ha'hu Mi V'nikrashmo V'nafka so this story is as follows. He says, Rabbi Huda says that he was sitting before Rabbi Tarfon and the Yavama came to do Chalitza. And Rabbi Tarfon said to the rabbis who were sitting there, all of you should answer and say, meaning the shoe was removed, the one whose shoe was removed. And then that's referring right to this verse that we just talked about, Deuteronomy 25.10. And then the whole idea is that you're going to make that known to everybody that she can go and get married to whoever, whomever. But the point is then to say that that halacha of publicizing it is not from that same verse, but rather it's from a different words in the verse where it says his name will be called in Israel. Okay, so now we have like a, a full explication of the verse that says that teaches us two different halachot. On the one hand, right, the case of Chalitza has to be done in a Beitin, in a Jewish court. I don't think that should surprise anybody since I don't think non-Jewish courts are in the business of doing Chalitza, but I also don't know if Chalitza was a, a thing in the non-Jewish world at all. Uh, you know, we've never really discussed that question. Um, but also that there, the idea that there was Chalitza is something that needs to be, be publicized. That the nature of her going free from not being tied to the Avam it's because everybody's going to now spread the word, which is an interesting piece of the halacha to make it known that, yes, she can marry somebody else because she did chalitza. So, you know, I, I think they're trying to figure out here in a way that we can only appreciate once we get to, uh, once we've done Gittin and now that we're in Kedushan, sort of where are the parallels with Yibum and chalitza with divorce itself? Like, in other words, we did some of this discussion in Yavam, in uh, Yavamos, but it means something very different once we've actually completed our discussion of, of Gittin. Yes, I think that's true. Okay, I'm going to move on now. Um, and we have a Mishnah, which, you know, we thought we were having fun with Yibum. Now we'll get into slavery. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, look, there was a concept of, you know, Jews, buy, you know, selling themselves or being bought by another Jew. Uh, you can read a lot about it if you look in the Sukim itself, where it appears um, that some of this was economic, right? If somebody was poor and didn't have a way of supporting themselves, you know, sometimes this is what they would do in order to, you know, make their economic situation better. Um, that's kind of the positive spin I could give on it. So, Evid Ivri Nikneb, Bekesef Ubishtar. And so, a Hebrew slave can be acquired by his master either through money or a document. And again, I'm also sensitive to that what's upsetting about this being the second mission in Kedushan is, is that obviously the parallel that's being drawn here is the same Kenyan of Kedushan is the Kenyan of, you know, between a husband and wife is the Kenyan between an Ebed and his master. So do I need to say more? Okay, I get where everyone is. Bishnayim, <laughs> okay, and he also can be Bishanim. Uh, he can be emancipated through years. In other words, when he completes, so when you do sell yourself, it's not a lifetime sell. 
it's it's you you do six years right and the seventh year right a shemitah you know seven years it's not necessarily the shemitah year but the seventh year after the six years that you've been sold uh you you become free uba yovel or if it's the yovel remember the yovel year is after seven complete cycles of uh of uh of uh shemitah that so that's 49 years that fifth year is called the yovel is called the yovel year um, or with the deduction of money. In other words, the slave can redeem themselves during the six years by repaying back the remaining years of their slavery. A Hebrew slave, right? A Hebrew maid servant has another one, uh, another way of emancipating herself, and that is through signs of puberty, um, which the Gemara will explain later on. A slave who is pierced Esther serving the six years, right? So in other words, once the slave finishes his seven, this is in Mishpatim. So anybody, uh, you know, in in, uh, in Sefer Shemot, once the slave has completed the six years, if they want to stay on, right, they pierce their ear, right? That's the whole thing to sort of show that instead of being free, they allow themselves to stay longer with their, um, with their master. Um, and so they can, so that's another way that the Kenyan takes place. They do it for a longer period than the six years through the piercing of his ear. Um, and he inquired, and he is basically acquired through the Yovel year, right? In other words, no matter when the Yovel falls out, they still are set free or through the death of their master itself. Um, okay. So again, we have many things that I think are going to bother us about this particular Mishnah, the idea of the institution of slavery, uh, but although I think you can see that there's many ways it's, it's never permanent, right? Uh, you know, they are basically supposed to be, uh, uh, you know, it's supposed to be set free. Um, and, uh, you know, also the idea that the parallel, the Kenyan of marriage to the Kenyan of the slave, the Gemara is basically going to start with a very basic question. Right. We learned that the Hebrew slave can basically, that Kenyan can be done through money. Minalan, how do we know that? And so now they're going to go through trying to understand where do we learn that from the Pesukim itself. Right, so the Gemara quotes a Pasuk here from Vayikra, chapter 25, verse 451, which says, out of the money that he was bought for, right, which teaches us he was, the Kenyan was done through money. Right. We found that a Hebrew slave who's sold to a non-Jew, it's done through money. Right. Which is the case that's actually being discussed in that Pasuk. Right. But it's not talking about a Jew who's sold to a Jew. So one could argue. Right. The argument that's being made here is that since all Kenyans with are uh, done with a non-Jew or only performed with money, then obviously it could also be done with the Jew itself. So then the Gemara wants to know, Nimkarli Yisrael Minalan. How do we know, right, that a, 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 a Jew can be sold to another Jew with money? So here they're quoting a pasuk from Shemot, chapter 21, verse 8, which says that he shall let her be redeemed, which teaches us here, they're talking about a female slave, which teaches us that she, if she acquires money, the, the female slave, female Jewish slave, and then wants to be freed before her time is complete, she deducts the sum from her reductions, right? So you can basically deduct the value of time served from your purchase price by any of the remaining amount, right? And then basically she is free. 
So this teaches us that the the Hebrew uh, slave is basically acquired the kinnon is done through money. And even though our example is with a woman, the halacha would also apply, apply with uh, a man. Although the Gemara is now going to say, Okay, we learned this with a female Jew, with a female slave, right? But we say, wait, but maybe the reason for that is, is that since a woman can normally be betrothed through money, so she can also be acquired uh, as a slave through money. So how do we know that this also, you know, applies to a man? Because the Pasuk in Devarim chapter 15, verse 12 says, if your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you, he shall serve you for six years. So this links uh, the, 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 a, a Jewish man slave to a Jewish woman slave. Okay, and then the Gemara goes on to say, Okay, this is a source for a slave who's sold by a court. Because what this Pasuk is really talking about is, uh, is a thief who can't repay his value of his, of his theft. And therefore, he's sold as, uh, as, uh, sold as a slave so he can repay his debt. So we could say, you know, right, the nimkar bal minalan. So this is like a unique case because he's basically sold against his will. How do we know that he can sell himself through money? Not because he has a debt to repay because he wants to. Yaliv sachir sachir, right? Hanicha leman de yaliv sachir sachir. El leman de lo yaliv sachir sachir. My ekelemema. So here we get, we make a gezer shava. We learn this through, right? The word of, of sachir, of a hired worker and a hired worker. Um, and so this term appears in the Pasuk in Vayikra, chapter 25, verse 40, which deals with uh, somebody who uh, is sold by the court. And then again, the word sachir uh, appears as a, a slave who's, who, gets, who, gets, um, who gets sold to you in Devarim as an individual in chapter 15, verse 18. And so it says this works out well because we're basically comparing, contrasting sachir and sachir. But then we basically say, okay, but what if there's someone who doesn't hold by this Gezer Shaba? Um, and so then uh, they're going to go on and say, So it says the verse that's at the, uh, that at the beginning of Vayikra, chapter 25, verse 47, it says, right, it talks about somebody being sold to a non-Jew, right? It says if a, 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 a stranger becomes, you know, becomes a, a settler with you, becomes a Toshav with you and becomes rich. So the word, because it says the, the, right? It has add, it means to add to the first matter. So in other words, it's talking about the first matter that it was talking about was a Jew, was someone who sells himself to a Jew. And so therefore it's connecting these two cases that just as someone can sell themselves to a non-Jew for money, also they can sell themselves to a, to a Jew. So the issues of slavery, this is a brilliant passage of Midrash Halacha, right? Of taking a variety of different psukim and basically saying, let's read the psukim very carefully. And we're going to see how we learn all of those, you know, how do we learn all of these halakhot and in a very detailed oriented way. It's not going to say, okay, we see it's true in this case, but could we dig a little deeper and find another pasuk to show that, yeah, this is really how we learn the halakha out. So I, I just found from a technical point of view, putting aside all of my emotional problems with what's going on in this stuff, this is a very beautiful, beautifully written piece of Gemara.
So I'm going to play devil's advocate for a moment, if I may. I'm wondering if the system of slavery as a means of handling poverty, I mean, slavery is terrible, right? But like if you were in debt up to your eyeballs and you don't have like somebody to borrow from or the bank isn't going to give you a loan, like at what point did this become like a practical, useful tool? I'll take it even farther. I think the way I've seen what some commentators say about it is, is that actually it's a way of like, in other words, if someone becoming, instead of somebody becoming poor and becoming homeless, you're basically, you live with a family, right? You're a part of, and now again, I am not at all trying to sort of, you know, I think part of the problem is, is that when we use English words like slave, it, it has a real connotation, right? Nobody who's American, can say that word slave without thinking about American history in regards to slavery. But right, it's exactly it. Right. So but it just seems this is a little different than that. This seems to be like the class system in in England. We almost shouldn't use the word slave. Like we almost should say straight out, we're just going to keep using the Hebrew words of Evid and Shifcha because the institution as it exists in Halacha is very different than sort of let's say uh, you know, the slavery that we think about. Now, again, I, I'm not trying to, you know, I don't know exactly what happened, but at least from like looking, reading the Psukim and how the commentators explain what it is, it has a very different purpose. In other words, this was actually an institution that sort of created a way of protecting those who were most poor, right? You would basically willfully sell yourself so that you had a place to go. Right, meaning it's still inequality in society in a very dramatic way, but but the alternative of being like left, I, I don't know, like on the street, whatever, if you don't have a means of pulling yourself out of it, and here if we say it's for X number of years, and over that time maybe you can uh, you know acquire a nest egg, and then you'll be able to you know function in a different kind of way. I don't know. I, I'm not saying that it's something anybody should want, or even necessarily want in society, but I feel like there is an element of it that seems protective, as you said, as compared to just being horrible. Yeah. And I, and again, I think, you know, I understand sort of like what our, what our bias is with all of that. Well, that's our doc discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rebonite Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hondon website. Let us know what you thought about this doc on our Talking Town and Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 